Since July of 2021, our student-athletes have capitalized on so many NIL opportunities that have been presented to them. Those opportunities exist because of the power of Vol Nation. When you combine the most passionate fan base in the country with the city of Knoxville and our great state, you create the nation's number one NIL destination for student-athletes. There's no better place for our players to build their brands than right here at Tennessee. I encourage all of you to support and donate to Spire Sports and Our Lady Ball Booster Collective. These collectives are here to serve our student-athletes the right way in our community. To get involved, please scan this QR code now. It's been an incredible fall for our program, and we are just scratching the surface of what we can accomplish. Let's all do our part to ensure that Tennessee continues to lead the way in name, image, and likeness. Go Big Orange! Cool, cool. Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Vols ATV podcast. Me and Drew so far kicking it off. Going to be joined by Rob here in a little bit. Uh, a lot to unpack, man. A lot of good news, a lot of stuff to be kind of wishy-washy about, but mostly a lot of good, man, and especially with the basketballs. We're going to dive into that. First, Drew, how you doing, my friend? How you been this week? Yeah, man, I, uh, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. So the weather here has been immaculate the last couple of days it's been fantastic today low 80s it's gonna be Dude. high 80s tomorrow knoxville nothing but sunshine so it's hard to complain now when it comes to tennessee baseball that's another story but we'll most definitely uh, touch on that subject for sure uh later today without a doubt but how about yourself brandon how are you doing oh man you know doing good wrapping up the little work week of things uh been hard to kind of you know stay off my phone whether it's, you know, the basketballs and recruiting, the baseballs and, you know, them taking over Twitter and, you know, lighting the whole world on fire or, you know, Josh Heupel and everyone raving after seeing what they saw Saturday during the spring game. Just a lot to look forward to. And it's, you know, starting to get to that part of the year where we talk about football being, you know, a full year thing. But like now it's that part of the year, April, June, where like September 2nd is just around the corner. So a lot to look forward to. And it feels like there's like so much news coming out, especially on top of this investigation. And it's just like every day, man, it's something Tennessee related is crazy happening. So it's been cool to keep up with that. But, and, you know, in the real world, still taking it day by day and living the best life there. First off, I guess, you know, Drew, let's go ahead and dive into it, man. The breaking news from, you know, an hour ago, Tennessee dipping into the transfer portal, landing, you know, forward Chris Ladlam from Harvard. But let's talk about, you know, yesterday getting, you know, Coach Ganey's son committing to the Vols and then the huge breaking news late at night of, you know, Santiago Vescovi announcing that he's going to be returning for another year for his final year with the Vols. A lot to, you know, break down in the span of 24 hours, but a lot of good news. Yeah, I mean, and some much-needed good news surrounding this basketball program, too. I mean, first and foremost, with Santi coming back, I mean, that's such a huge, huge piece for us going into next season to have that type of leadership and that experience. And not to mention, he's a two-time All-SEC player as well, you know, career-wise averaging a little bit over 11.5 points. But, you know, to add Jordan Ganey, who, you know, I'm a little, you know, it's always good to have some depth over in the guard position. We desperately need it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how his game translates into playing Power 5 conference basketball. Uh, you know, he averaged a little bit over 15 points a game and 40% from three. Big Rob is in the house. Big What's Rob, up, what man? is How's happening? It? What's up, man? I'm sorry, y'all, man. I had to put my son down to sleep. He has been on one today. Man. <laughs> oh, no, man. We're... I apologize. Oh, my fault. No, you're good. You're good. We're just breaking down a little bit of uh, some of the exciting news that we've had surrounding the basketball program the last couple of days with Vescovy coming back. Uh, Ganey coming, you know, signing yesterday, yeah. which wasn't really that too of a surprise, I think, for yeah. a lot of us. But the big one most recently 
was Chris Ledlin from Harvard. You know, the big four that averaged over 18 points a game, eight and a half rebounds, 1.6 assists. Huge get. I cannot emphasize that enough on how much we need that type of experience and that type of play down low. And just to give you a little bit of an idea, they did play a similar opponent to that Tennessee did last year, Kansas. He balled out against Kansas, man. He had about 17 points and nine rebounds. So, like, this is a guy that can play that type of level. We needed that depth. We needed that experience tremendously. And I think this is a guy that can make an impact. So, huge day for the basketball program the last 48 hours especially. Oh, man, man, for sure. You look at Ganey, the three-point percentage, you know, standing out there. But the big body of Chris, man, I feel like that's something we've, you know, missed for years. We definitely missed it this year, that big body presence that just kind of took over uh, consecutively down low. And, man, I feel like this big up isn't being talked about enough, obviously, because of the Vescovy news are coming back. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. man, like, this is a huge, huge pickup that might even, like, how we hyped up Tyreek Key, you know, coming into this year. Like, I think it will be a guy that's going to live up to the expectation and be, like, a true go-through kind of guy. Man, I'm going to hit the realistic point. I'm going to hit the realistic point, what a lot of people ain't going to say. What he did everywhere else, that's fine. That's great. That's awesome. That's dope. But is he going to do it at Tennessee? Because Rick Barnes is known for getting players mm-hmm. that average 15, 16, 17 points a game, and when they get to Tennessee, they don't do that. Tyreek Key was expected to be a knockdown shooter all season long. Now I get it. You have your ups and downs. You have your inconsistencies. I get that. But you you had a you had a bona fide pure shooter running point guard most of the season. I don't understand that. There's only one point guard in the world who's a bona fide shooter, no matter where he's at or where he's standing, and that's Steph Curry. You don't find many other point guards who can do it like that. Dame Lillard too. But my point is. You can't have one of your best shooters playing point guard and expect him to put up 17 points a game like he did. So can Rick Barnes find a way for him to be able to score how he normally scores and how he can score? Can he do it? I don't know. History says absolutely not. Prove me wrong. I mean, I think that's a very valid argument uh, from your perspective, Rob, for sure. I just think a little bit – I think just the one thing is that the fact that Harvard – the Ivy League is like a little bit a better competition than places like yeah. Indiana State or, you know, when EJ Anasicki came from Sacred Heart, I can mm-hmm. tell you, I, I don't even know what conference they play in. And that just lets you know how bad the conference that that type of competition is. But yeah. I, it's definitely understandable, though, especially considering that, you know, you had guys like Hunter Dickerson or Caleb Love that would have made impacts immediately on this team and would have mm-hmm. been more than likely probably would have been starters, too. So I'm trying to keep that confidence and trying to be positive, but – Definitely in the back of my mind, though, when you think of, like, Tyree Key, EJ Siki, and a couple of other guys, too, that have come from the portal the last couple of years, can't help but think, like, like you know, a little bit of that criticism, too. So, it'll be interesting to see. I like to think Chris Ledlam's going to be the exception. Mm-hmm. Now, Jordan Ganey, I'll just be honest with you, I, I understand because it's the assistant head coach's son. You know, from that perspective, it's a no-brainer. I don't think he's good enough to play in this type of league, and that's not a diss towards a kid. It's just that, like, he just – he's been very inconsistent even from last year, too. So, I hope I'm proven wrong. But, I mean, I'm at least glad that we got the Harvard prospect and we're apparently front runners for Dalton Nett from Northern Colorado, too. So, Yeah, I definitely saw that. And I was going to say that, you know, obviously there's a lot more targets. So, it's going to be, you know, one to, you know, see how it plays out in general. We saw last year how we kind of got hyped about it being on paper. 
I think hopefully they can go and maybe kind of scout this one differently, use those experiences from this year and the last few years, like you mentioned, from that kind of portal, just to, you know, look at it from an optimistic view and kind of maybe mm-hmm. try to see how they're going to plug and play. But at the same time, uh, it's kind of hard to expect anything from when you go out there and see how they come to this system, like Rob said, seeing great players and then yeah. coming into this system and having to adjust and change their game completely. And, you know, we saw guys where it takes, you know, a year or two, so it's going to be hard to even judge it going into this year. We're going to try to see it next year under a guy like, you know, B.J. Edwards, the classical B.J. Edwards mm-hmm. mentioned at the show. But just a lot, you know, basketball, you can't really tell, man, it comes down to the system. And not to mention, you know, Drew was talking about the quality guys we're kind of targeting and, you know, Hunter Dickinson, Caleb Love that were out there early in the portal. You got to understand that some programs are going to be a lot more prone to NIL and using their features to the full advantage in some other programs. I think Rick Barnes right now is just going and scouting these players for who they are and trying to plug and play that the best way he's done his whole career as a coach as well. But man, 18.9 points, 8.5 boards, uh, definitely a huge, huge addition after uh, Rick Barnes announced that Julian Phillips and Triple J are going to test the NBA draft uh, waivers and that, that whole pool of things. I mean, in my opinion, I would expect those guys to come back after all that, but yeah, <laughs> at least I one mean, of them. At least I, I don't know. Dude, here's the I thing for me, right? Know. I, I don't know if Julian Phillips will come back, and, but I also I don't know if I would necessarily want Triple J to come back just because he's been so he's been injury prone the last two seasons, and well, he hasn't looked like himself in quite a few years too. And so I don't I think it, that I think the only guy that you have from those four or five that you'd be willing to really have come back here is Santi, and I think it's because he's the most consistent player out of that whole entire bunch as well. So, I mean, and that's no di- no diss towards Julian Phillips or Triple J or Kamala or all of them, but like you, you just got to move on. You got to get fresh blood out there and give some guys some new opportunities. And I think this is going to be a good opportunity for guys like BJ Edwards to be able to make some strides this offseason and fight their way to get some playing time, especially since, you know, Zakai is going to be trying to get away from recovering from that ACL injury. Well, my thing with, with Julian Phillips is I think he has to get a little bit tougher, get in the mm-hmm. weight room get a little bit tougher and be able to take, you know, everything that's thrown your way as a true freshman, five star, all the hype. Like it's, it's pretty hard to live up to those expectations. And, you know, that could have played a part in, you know, his up and down play, but the potential is there. And and I know he can do it. I just hope he, he figures it out. If he doesn't go to the draft or he doesn't, you know, enter the transfer portal, I hope he figures it out. And I think he can, as far as triple J goes, um, I don't really see him coming back. I don't, I think he's gone. I think he's he's ready to, you know, move on to the next chapter. But if he comes back, great, awesome, sweet. Um, my my biggest concern for next season is will Rick Barnes will Rick Barnes sacrifice a little bit of defense for offense? Will he do it? Mm. Um history shows he won't do it. But <laughs> uh maybe maybe um this past season opened his eyes up a little bit to see that you know what the last 15 out of 20 national championships or national championship teams, their offense has been better than their defense. Like UConn, I think they were like top 15, top 20 in defense, but they were like number four or five in offense. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, defense wins championships, but that was also a saying that was true back then. Right now, that's not necessarily true. Great defense don't always win you uh, championships nowadays. It just doesn't, and that's the truth. 
Maybe, but also I feel like you could definitely make that argument that like San Diego State was a team that made it all the way to the national title game. Great, I know they didn't win it, but they were a very defensive, you know, predominant philosophy mm-hmm. team yeah. as well. And so like I feel like there's still this like idea, and I still agree with it to an extent, that like you can make it that far with with a defense. But the problem is like if you don't even have an average offense, which we didn't have for ninety percent of the season, then it doesn't really do any good regardless. So, I mean, I agree with that as well, but, you know, I think it definitely plays into a lot of factors too as in regards to trying to win a national championship in basketball. But my thing is, though, uh, and maybe, Brando, maybe you could, maybe you would agree with it or not, but I think we all kind of know that, like, Rick Barnes has been a little bit hesitant or not as, as, as going with NIL as some of the other guys have been with, on campus, like Heupel and Tony V., and don't you think that maybe that's going to play a factor with his recruiting and not just this portal, but obviously recruiting in the future as well? Brando, your mic's not working. You're not saying anything. Oh, I had it, I had it unmuted maybe. on the stream yard, but the mic, is, mic itself was still muted. Um, I was trying to mention that, though. Uh, the only time we've really seen Rick Barnes dip into that NIL thing was with Julian Phillips when we beat out LSU. And that was with, a, a you know, Will Wade on his way out when that whole thing was going on. And we had yeah. that whole down to the wire against South Carolina recruitment. I mean, we may have kind of used that against with, you know, Freddie Buckets and Cameron Carr and Cade Phillips and those guys. I'm not too sure. Really, really good prospects. That's also the same kind of prospects that Rick Barnes is bringing in in his recruiting classes anyway. He's been able to go in there and recruit, you know, top 100 talent. And I wanted to kind of spin that. So I'm kind of glad that point came up. We're talking about the transfer portal additions, but the way this team is going to be revamped, you know, a guy like JP Estrella or, you know, Freddie Buckets, who didn't see the action last year. They didn't want to burn his red shirt and, you know, make him eligible in the tournament. When we needed that guard play, we saw all the hype and stuff. It just matters, like, going back to you and Rob's point, what's going to happen when these guys kind of come into the system. And I think that, you know, we all know that Rick Barnes is on his way out more than he is getting into the game. So mm-hmm. if he can, you know, in these next, you know, few seasons dip in that, if he wants that final run, we even said it last year, we were talking about on paper, this last team's roster, man, if Rick Barnes wants to be successful in his last two runs, if he wants more than a sweet 16, that was, you know, our best running, how long, whatever day, he's going to have to get, you know, get his hands dirty, dip down in there and grab a guy that's going to be that dog. When he was talking about guys having risk, saying that no guy has the it factor on the team, he wasn't lying to us in that meme video. We laughed, but he told us, he warned us this whole time. And I think you got to go find a guy that has that dog. But, you know, off to a good start. Ledlam, huge, huge addition. Justin Ganey's son, a guy that, you know, shooting 40% from the three-point line, huge, huge addition. How involved does Rick Barnes get into that NIL? How much does he dip down, you know, going into something that he wasn't used to? Those this age of coaches are not the same as, you know, what Rick Barnes believes. And when you look at Jay White, you know, those guys that, you know, have left the game because of what this game has turned into and what college athletics is. I just wonder how dirty will Rick Barnes get? I mean, I think I think he's going to get to a point where, like, he's going to have to realize that he's going to, whether if it's like set morals aside to be able to win basketball games, I think he'll do that to an extent. But I don't think he's going to do it to the point where, like, he'll change his whole entire philosophy of the game and how he wants to have his program run or anything like that. And that's not a diss towards him. That I mean, he's he's an individual that speaks what he says, like, you know, like, does what he does, you know, does what he says, all that stuff or whatever. And fair play to him. But 
I, you know, I'm starting to grow this like mindset or this belief that like we can't expect a final four under a Rick Barnes team or a Rick Barnes program. And it's just not, it's not because like he doesn't bring in enough talent or anything like that. But I just think with the way that his style of basketball is, it's going to be, you play really, really good in January. You have a couple bumps in February, but you make the tournament every single year as a top six seed. And, you know, you make it a favorable draw where you go to the Sweet 16. And then maybe if you're lucky, we'll make an Elite Eight or maybe a Final Four appearance. But I don't think with his style of basketball that you can expect this team or this program, at least for the time being, to be able to be a consistent Elite Eight Final Four team. But don't get me wrong, though. Going into next season, though, and when you really break it down on who we're going to have as our starting five and just theoretically – just to start off the year with, you know, Zakai still recovering from an ACL injury, and that's assuming, of course, that he won't be back by then. I mean, who knows? Like, the guy's a total maniac. I think he's going to do anything he can to make sure that he's back come, you know, the season opener. But when you think of your guards going to be consisted of, you know, Freddie Buckets, Vescovy, Meshack, and then your bottom, you know, your two big men are going to be either Ledlam or Waka or Adu or JP. I mean, like, yeah. that's a solid lineup where it's a top 15, top 20 basketball oh, team. Oh, yeah, we're going to be and competing this, every year. We're going to be competing. Like, and we're going to be a top four, top five team in the conference. If the cards fall right, we'll certainly be in the hunt for a conference championship for sure. But this is a good opportunity, though, like I said back to Rob earlier, this is a I mean, there will not be a better opportunity for B.J. Edwards to make his make his stride, I mean, he has make to, his plays. There's no this guard is, play. Like, they're not going after any guard it, transfers. Because if he's not going to do it now, by the time we start recruiting for kids for 2025, and I know we're going to look after, try to get a point guard at that point, there's going to be no chance for him to be able to get consistent minutes. So he's I mean, got guys like that. It's about time to go get in that, that Bronny James conversation and this, you know. I mean, I Rob made a good yeah. point, man. Like, we talked about, you know, getting the players here and stuff like that. But Rob made a good point of, like, the offense and defensive, you know, differential when it comes to national championships and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, that's something he could definitely do with these guys coming in. Still play his defense to a point. Not as aggressively, not as, you know, where it takes guys out of their element to play. But when you got guys like JP coming in, Freddie Buckets, who is dropping, you know, 40, 50 points a game, CJ Carr, uh, Cameron Carr, that guy, like these guys are studs, crazy great talent players that like, you see on the overtime, all that. And you see these players when like you've seen in the past, they go on that, they live up to the hype in their one or two years in college and they go and they dominate the league or at least have a presence in the league. Can Rick Barnes produce that? Can he take advantage of that? And when he has and pretty buckets, like he, ha- I think he has to. He, he has to, but the thing is though, is that, and it's back to kind of like Rob's point, as long as he's predominantly – you know, um, defensive philosophy first, defense first, scoring second. This team, those players won't can't make fill in their full potential. You know, playing that role. Like if there's, and I hate to make this like comparison because I hate them Jump for right. basketball. No, but like if Arkansas, Arkansas is the perfect example of a program where you can make a Final Four national title run because they are a team where they do struggle in the regular season but they have such heavy guard play and play so fast and so quick and they are so shooting heavy that if they get a run where they win two or three games, like there's no one stopping them. I mean, like, and they've shown that the last three tournaments. And so, and I don't know if Rick Barnes is willing to sacrifice part of his defense to be able to do that either. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Like, cause I, I like Rick Barnes. I think personally 
he's the best coach this program's ever had. But I don't know if he's going to be the guy within the next three years to finally take us to the Final Four. All right, all right. Crazy, crazy, obviously a lot. Basketballs. We could talk about it for like a whole entire show if we if we really oh, yeah. truly wanted to, man. But you know, obviously, uh so much more going on, not on the bright side in some sorts with the baseballs, a lot in the football thing. Before we get off the topic of basketball, Drew, I think it would be wrong to not have this topic. NBA playoffs going on right now. Obviously, there's a, a ton of series. What do you think of what's going on right now in the NBA? Like, I know it's a vol show, but just a quick little prediction of what's going to shape out, how it's going to go off. Um, so I think the Kings are going to win in five. I I think that's a very good basketball team that, you know, that Dude, is – No Draymond in game three? Well, no Draymond's in game three. Now, speaking of Draymond, I think he's a punk. I think he's a clown. <laughs> clown. I think he's a dumbass for doing that. Like, and that's the point of the game as well, especially when you're only down by four points. Just s'more on it, just stupid, but not surprising nonetheless from Draymond himself. Um, I think, unfortunately, my Hawks are going to get swept because they oh, are yeah. horrible, a very, oh, yeah. very bad basketball team. And I personally, yeah. I think they should just get rid of Trey Young altogether. The guys like a cancer in the locker room. But I, I honestly, really? I don't, bro. No, he, no one wants to play with him. Like he's, he thinks like he has to be the guy, and he's the only one that's gonna. He's trying to be like Kobe, but he's team not. Team chemistry Kobe. on zero, man. There's no team chemistry. I mean, and like if you can just see, I mean, with the rotating players that they've had out the door the last couple of years for the Hawks too. But I think if there's any team, in my opinion, that at least as far as the East goes, that will for sure make the conference finals, if not the NBA finals, is Celtics. For the West, I think it's open doors for anyone. Like, I, like yeah. I, all, all of them are pretty damn good, even the Clippers as well, you know. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's kind of like what I told my buddies though last week. Like, it's so hard for me to watch NBA just because it's just every team's going to score at least 105 points. You know, there's not really very much defense, and I was – whether if that's just because you have so many athletes out there, out there, or there's no really coaching philosophy or strategy at all, so they need to hire Rick Barnes. No, they don't. That would be horrible. So uh, they've they've tried that before with college coaches. Just look at how well uh, John Calvary did for the Toronto uh, oh, Raptors like 20 years ago. It was it was brutal. So, but yeah, Man. big Kings guy going forward though for the NBA playoffs. I love a good story like that. And quite honestly, Sacramento is such a miserable city. They need something at least positive for once. So. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I watched, you know, the end of, you know, game two the other day and just how that ending was, how Sac was going crazy. Like, I've mm-hmm. never seen – I don't even think Sacramento, the Kings themselves have seen that arena that pop in. And I heard Barry make that joke whenever he was, like, you know, talking about the Kings, like the L.A. Kings and playoff hockey, da, da, da. Like, just to see Sacramento get to this point, man, this whole year, like, thinking, okay, they're going to eventually fall. And now they're living up to the hype in the playoffs, grand against the Warriors team that plays terribly on the road. But it's just been, like, all around entertaining, Still- man. Like, yeah. Still, Warriors team that's won three NBA titles, man. Like they exactly, still a- exactly. So you never know who's going to really bounce back. I'm interested to see how the Grizzlies react to John Moran being ruled out and playing against the Lakers tonight. I think that might help them. Uh, I've seen in the past, but Lakers Lakers win that one in five too. I what well, dude Memphis is lost without John Moran. They are, and you know damn well that the NBA is going to do everything they possibly can to make sure LeBron. Oh yeah, I mean the script was already written when they came run. back and somehow got into the play-ins. We, yeah. we knew that was happening. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all in all, I think our boy Big Shot Rob is going back and forth on daddy duty. So he will be, you know, back with us here soon. Uh, just overall for the basketballs, man, 
Rick Barnes has to, you know, maybe adapt his game plan and then also adapt to the, the fact of NIL. Two huge pickups today um, yeah. that are going to help this team massively, and especially yesterday, the, the news yesterday. But, you know, it has to dip down in the NIL. It's in a dog-eat-dog world. And, you know, if Rick Barnes, you know, isn't going to do it, uh, before we jump into football, we can maybe have, you know, Josh Heupel do it for him. Let's, you know, go listen to our boy Josh Heupel about the Ball Club Inspire Sports. Since July of 2021, our student-athletes have capitalized on so many NIL opportunities that have been presented to them. Those opportunities exist because of the power of Ball Nation. When you combine the most passionate fan base in the country with the city of Knoxville and our great state, you create the nation's number one NIL destination for student-athletes. There's no better place for our players to build their brands than right here at Tennessee. I encourage all of you to support and donate to Spire Sports and Our Lady Ball Booster Collective. These collectives are here to serve our student-athletes the right way in our community. To get involved, please scan this QR code now. It's been an incredible fall for our program, and we are just scratching the surface of what we can accomplish. Let's all do our part to ensure that Tennessee continues to lead the way in name, image, and likeness. Go Big Orange. See, I love that video, man. It's Beautiful. it's great. It gets to the point. It gets you fired up. I mean, that's what Apple does. Say and, I mean, honestly, and, like, that's the thing. I mean, go back to the Vol Club. Like, I mean, it – it's your opportunity and your your time to be able to where you can make an impact, not just for not just for Tennessee football as a fan, but for Tennessee basketball or Lady Vols athletics too. I mean, it's you literally your donation is going to those student athletes, and if that and that right there and having that type of impact, if you want to solidify on Rocky Top being back as a powerhouse, not just for football, but continue being a powerhouse for basketball and baseball and meeting bringing back Lady Vols basketball too. This is your shot to be able to bring that back because recruits see this, you know, right. big time donors see this and future business investors see this too. And so when you have that passion where we have 105,000 or 100, 100,090, I think is now our technical, technical capacity. But when you, when they see that every single week in a week out, dude, it, look at it this way. If a hundred thousand of those people donated, just did the $5 a month, you're talking about a half a million dollars a month from every person over there. And think about that impact that would have towards recruiting. So there's no reason not to join the Vol Club. Even outside of this, I'm a Vol Club I mean, member. Josh Heifel just told you. Josh Heifel literally just told us. Rick Barnes is going to tell you tomorrow as well. The Big Orange Caravan over there had the uh, sports complex. So if you're going, you should. Highly recommend so. it. Shit. It's a good vibes. Only 20 bucks too. But seriously, look at the Vol Club. Look at the options they have. And not to mention, Brandon and I can attest to this too. The merchandise that they have over there oh, yeah. is next to none too. It's just it's oh, yeah. perfect. If you sign up for the checkerboard, uh, the sign up for that, like that, I think it's like the twenty five dollar version. It comes down to you know at least five dollars a month. You literally can have any kind of plan that you know works for whatever works for you. But you honestly get back in revenue and in you know gear and everything they send to you, koozies, mm -hmm. all that. You honestly get back to what you spend. Like they take care of you for sure on the merchandise and you know potential signed autograph, you know, pictures of former players and current players. And not to mention mm -hmm. when the Spire tailgate roll around, even at the orange, orange white game this week, free club, uh, free eating, everything's taken care of, catering, and, selection, everything. They, they take care of you for real, man. Oh, it's just a hundred percent. They take the care of you. And, it, and it's not like, it's not like some winky dinky hot dogs from Kroger and like $2 yeah. burgers. I mean, I'm talking about Brandon and I know this personally as well. I mean, Chick-fil-A, open bar, charcuterie boards. I mean, you name it. It's outstanding. Oh, yeah. it, there's no better way 
to properly tailgate and cheer on the Vols than Aspire Sports tailgate. And the tailgate alone, in my opinion, is well worth the $25 a month. Oh, I mean, man. you know. I mean, you're surrounded by, by alumni and greatness, and not to mention players you know, there for the Florida week last year, being involved with the whole Gator head thing, uh, cooking up some Gator. You're, they're out there at 8 a.m., man. They're going. They're, they're trying to do the right thing, and the amount of support they've been getting here lately is insane. So happy that we have this partnership with them. If y'all are interested in signing up for the ball club, you can just click on the profile. The little link there is in our bio. But, you know, I think over 100 new signups in the last month or not even the last month, the last week or two, hitting over 2,500. Mm-hmm. Ever since they hit 2,500 members, they've been skyrocketing. So I want to keep that going. I wanted to, you know, let Josh Heupel do that because that video we just showed you was officially displayed at the Orange and White game here this past Saturday. Uh, a huge, huge weekend for the Vols. Obviously, the endorsement there for the NIL is Josh Heupel looks to con- continue to recruit in the portal and in his future classes. But seeing what the class that he just brought in in 2023 – we saw that firsthand, Drew, on Saturday during the Orange and White game. That was my biggest favorite thing is seeing how many guys of numbers that you didn't know, but you knew their last name and knew they were involved in that class and seeing their first real action. Uh, the Orange and White game as, as a whole, from the offense, the recruits, to the atmosphere. I mean, Drew, what was your biggest takeaway? You know, my biggest takeaway was, like, how ready a lot of those incoming freshmen were to play just to play in that type of level of field. I mean, like I thought Nico looked, I mean, all things considered Nico looked pretty well, you know, that run pass that he had to Ethan Davis was immaculate. I mean, it was a fantastic ball thrown. I mean, that's, that's a throw that gets you into Sundays, like playing Sundays for sure. It was nasty. But the one thing that I was impressed more than anything else was dude, our run game, our like, and I know we talked about last week, but good Lord, man, our running back room is so deep. I mean, Deshaun Bishops actually led their whole entire rushing corps with 88 rushing yards. And yeah. not to mention, Cam Selden had a couple great runs, especially that 23-yard run they had that wound up being a yeah, TD, right too. So, I mean, and this is, I mean, and seeing that from last Saturday is definitely a good indication of reason why there's been so many hypes, hype around those two guys, too. And then not to mention, you know, Ethan Davis and a couple other guys looked pretty uh, solid as well. My only concern, though, and – Maybe you disagree with this. I kind of think that, you know, um, our defensive line kind of looked like ass. Like, really? I thought it was – I thought it just thought seemed like they weren't really like – Our offensive line didn't look very good either, but it seemed like as bad as our offensive line is, and especially on that right side, you would have thought, that, like, anyone on the defensive line would have been able to record a sack. And, I mean, I mean you could look it back up. I don't think a single defensive lineman did either, so – um, I, I, I attest to that, but man, like I knew and I heard the rumors and all the stuff about the staff wanting to like, you know, thinking they needed some help at guard. And I a hundred percent see it now just because they're kind of trying right. to figure out who they're going to slide where and when they already, you know, switched around Mincy. They switched around guys, uh, Keurig trying to figure out where he's going to fit in. Didn't, you know, get the most success, but they had a couple of huge pickups trying to fill that question mark after losing guys like Darnell Wright and guys that, you know, brought you years and years of experience on that. That was kind of, you know, iffy to me. I kind of agree on the defensive line part, but I think those guys are going to get more pressure as the year goes around. How we saw Tim Banks do that live or die by kind of defense where he sent more guys. I think we're going to see a lot of help. And I kind of saw them kind of being a little soft on that. But, you know, the the jumps I was seeing from, you know, guys like Keenan Peely or Elijah Herring, Caleb Herring, seeing them kind of uh, have some extra help 
I was noticing some kind of different scheme. I thought the defense, in my opinion, the defensive line was kind of iffy, but overall the defense looked so, so improved. I don't know if it was a scheme thing or finally having the kind of talent and being able to fill guys yeah. in where you can rotate an actual like, I mean, you know, SEC caliber D. But. I will say this for sure. I think our secondary looks much more improved. Like I was very impressed with Wesley Walker and Christian Charles. I thought they both oh, had yeah. very good games too. And they just look a lot more physical and played with more Jordan confidence Matthews. than we did. Jordan Matthews too. And I mean, I've, you know, and I, I hate mentioning this dude's name, but like Kamal Haddon sure. has been having a pretty good spring too. And I'm really, I mean, look, I want this kid to be good. Like I do. Like I want every single player to be I've good. Heard, but like, I've got heard it on Kamal Haddon, man. When so, I, I mean, I've heard good things about him. I think our secondary looks much improved. And I think we shouldn't be too worried about that. It's just really our defensive line, I think, more than anything else. We just – they really need to emphasize that coming into, like, you know, fall camp and getting ready for that Virginia game on September 2nd. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, I've heard, like, things that, like, Kamal had in, like, in, like, late game scrimmage situations and stuff like that, like being able to pick off guys like Milton or if it's Nico or Gaston Moore and stuff like that, being able to just, you know, read the game like can put the game in his control, kind of take advantage. A guy like, you know, single-handedly might be one of the reasons we're not in the college football playoffs. You're talking about making it that far, you know, in Atlanta or in LA. Um, Drew, if that yeah. guy can, you know, get into his, <laughs> yeah. if that guy can get into his own man, you know, obviously it was Juco rankings, but he was a top, uh, top Juco prospect, went from Auburn, came here, had the, you know, the game ceiling pick off the pressure of Byron Young last year against Florida. He's had big moments. I think that's a guy that wants to be a leader can he get over the adversity? Can he, you know, hit, hit that maturity level that we know that he much desperately needs and just kind of get locked in on the field and be that lockdown guy? That's going to be all uh, it for me. That's definitely going to be, you know, a concern against Virginia just because Virginia's offense should be complete dog water. Like, obviously, Tony Elliott is an offensive coordinator coach, lost their sixth-year, you know, starting quarterback. Their wide receiver is questionable. For, uh, you know, their whole offense is questionable. Obviously, going through a lot as a program, I think Tennessee mm-hmm. should be able to be locked in and take advantage of there. My biggest thing, though, was about how the game started, man. The first, you know, pass, Joe Bill and the Nathan Leacock, seeing him get involved there. Like you said, Deshaun Bishop, Cam Sullivan, just seeing those guys just get to chopping. A lot of guys weren't playing. They were kind of held out. But, man, like that offense, just being able to see those receivers get involved. Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, we've heard about them in practice. Those guys were very, very active. Caleb Webb making that crazy, crazy catch, you know, with double coverage. And then I wanted to go back on Nico, man, about, you know, talking about crazy balls. Obviously, that one we saw, you know, the the huge highlight. But the one that was an incomplete pass where he read that safety over the top and put it on the outside, just the receiver wasn't athletic enough to come back and make that catch. That's a, that's a catch or a ball, like you said, that will get that kid on Sundays. And just seeing that guy come in compared to the rest of the guys in his class that he was compared to, you know, other quarterbacks like Arch Manning or what Dante Moore and, you know, Malachi Nelson yeah. are doing out there in their spring games. I think we we definitely hit gold and definitely got a, a future QB one, man. I discussed. Oh, I mean, a thousand percent. I mean, it, you watch that spring game and you, you will see why the like our NIL and Tennessee just in general paid such a high price tag for this kid because he's worth that dime. I mean, he, Literally any other program, I feel like, in my opinion, in America, I he's mean, their like, starter. Georgia, even Alabama, you know, with those open, like, he's their starter day in, day out. And the only reason why he's not is just because well, we got Joe Milton, who's been here for three years, and, you know, he's he's got a better arm for now. But 
there's i mean that but that's the thing too though dude like nico is not really that far behind him kind of like what rob said like you know that he's looked good all spring against the twos it's definitely one of those things where like i think joe milton knows like he's gonna have to play his a game all season long because if he has like three four five drives where he just is not clicking and he can't get anything going that like Heupel is going to well, pull that plug and he's going to put Nico out there because we, we saw I that kind of early on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, and like Nico's shown that he can play in this league. And like, I think, you know, I'm still all in on Milton. I still think in my opinion, Milton's the best quarterback that we have. And I still think, hey, you know, this might be a hot take or whatever. I think he's going to have a better season than Henry Hooker this fall. I, do I really do. I, I, and it's not because I, that he's like the overall better quarterback, but the way his skill set is like last year, if you look at 2023 quarterbacks from quarterbacks that are returning plus quarterbacks that had playing time in the 2022 season, Milton blows him out the water in his, you know, Washley, you know, beach play of games playing late in, in blowouts like Missouri, you know, games like that. And dude was just, his numbers are off the charts, man. Like 82 completions. It's insane. I mean, he had 10 touchdowns and zero interceptions as a backup, which is like, I mean, it's incredible. Like, you know, and I think over a 68 or 69% completion rate too. I mean, like, it's just, he's been, he was awesome as a backup quarterback and he has all the tangibles and the talent in the world to be a first round draft pick, to be an all sec and all American, like anyone that's seen this kid play, whether if it was like against Missouri last year or Clemson in the Orange Bowl, we all know that this kid has it. It's just, can he find a way to not throw every single ball at 150 miles an hour? Yeah. And I think if he's able to have a little bit more touch, like on those, you know, short intermediate routes, I think I think this team will not skip a beat offensively. I really don't. I, I wish uh, I wish Rob was here because I wanted to, you know, give him a little shout out face to face. And even the announcers touched on it in the Orange and White game. Uh, we already have, you know, a raising concern at that guard position and the O-line with the protection there. You know, mm-hmm. Joe Millen's ability to kind of, you know, read that rush, that pass rush. They were talking about that being a major concern. And then all in all, you know, his weight loss that will help him be more mobile and agile on the field to have that running ability, which I saw was a, a key factor. He did show that, but also just the pressure that, you know, when it wasn't non-existent from the defensive line, but it, it definitely was in some instances that kind of raised some kind of, some kind of concern. And SEC defensive line, after so many reps, they're eventually going to get back there. Uh, it just depends how fast he's getting the ball out, how well he's getting the ball out. Uh, we know that he won't make mistakes if he is throwing a ball. It's going to be either to the receiver as a bullet or over the head and nowhere even near. So don't have to worry about the turnover factor, but just you know, being able to read that pressure, I think that's going to be a, a huge, huge thing. And as fast as this offense goes, you know, it's a lot easier to make mistakes even though you're doing all the right things. so Yeah, I mean, and that's like that's like what made Hen Hooker so special is the fact that, like, we were playing at 1,000 miles an hour, and he played, I mean, essentially perfect the entire season. I mean, he made very minimal mistakes, and even when he did make those mistakes, though, he still recovered from it. And so it's a different type of style than, like, any other team in America runs, and it, it asks for a very specific type of quarterback. So, like, and I think that's why we were so heavy and prevalent on trying to get Nico on campus. And that's why we gave him so much to make sure that we could guarantee that he would be here in the first place. So, I think regardless, though, I mean, and I know the scoring was low, like a 17-14, whatever. Like, I don't think, you know, mostly I think it's a positive, you know, it did suck that Ethan Davis did get injured there if his collarbone. Oh, yeah. but, that was our point but luckily, our though, points. But that is an injury where he can still recover and come back by the season starts. 
you know, so like he should be fine. And I don't think he was going to be the type of player anyway that would start over Jacob Warren in the first place. So really? I think you're I still don't know, man. I saw a lot from Nico and Ethan Davis that I think Ethan Davis is at least number two or number three in that room. I think man. that man I was think, a dog. I think Ethan Davis is maybe a number two for sure. I'm not arguing that. And not a guy that will not get playing time. I think he will, but I think you can't not start Jacob Warren. You know what's crazy to me though? McAllen Castle with a top fifteen ranked tight end on the on the NFL draft board for this draft, and this man came back. And like I understand that he's going to be you know getting a lot of playing time. Don't get me wrong with the two tight end sets that we run, but it's just you know crazy to see how stacked we are when you look at that position after losing our you know oh, yeah. best assistant Prince in the nation. Fame. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know. And, you know, Tennessee is not even done at that position. You know, I was going to touch on that in a second. Obviously, mm-hmm. if they can find a stud tight end, they don't want, you know, just any other tight end. They want, they want the guy, like, to be exceptionally well. So, I don't know if tight end might be a preserve, for sure position of need or target in the portal. But I do know they definitely want an offensive guard, uh, some addition on the O-line just to kind of be, you know, more secure there. They want uh, a Leo, which is a.k.a. an edge rusher for those that aren't familiar with the, you know, knowledge. Uh, edge rusher there to add there and then they also want to add another wide receiver so i was kind of you know thrown off by the the edge rusher and wide receiver when you look at those you know positions on paper they're really stacked but then also like they're like you know need that six to eight range in that position to kind of be stacked and for sure in the sec so i guess they want to just kind of be locked in there Uh, i'm not sure it'll be like a huge huge impact guy they add but all in all i think expect some extra bodies and you know coming out of spring practice expect some guys that might not be staying around on Rocky Top to open up some more spots. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's just the nature of the game when it comes to college football. It's like you're going to have guys that are going to transfer out or leave the program. I mean, every program experiences this. I mean, George experienced experience it right now very heavily oh, yeah. too. I mean, you know, a, a couple of defensive linemen already left in the last three days. But, like, these are things that are inevitable. And when it does happen, I don't think there should be any room to panic. I think the only time you really should start panicking is when you start seeing three or four starters leave within a couple days span. But we're not going to have that here. I think the program right now, as far as, like, from a health perspective, is probably the healthiest it's been in the last 15 years. And it's not even remotely close either. And you know? right now, and so, right now, they're, like – they're just all while the NCAA investigations going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like right now, they're just doing. Rush Heupel's just doing the best he can, man. Like it's literally there's a clause in his contract that you know where there's stuff going on that hinder him from you know performing to the highest of his expectations right now with his you know instruments at Tennessee, and to kind of you know see that kind of going on like while all this is going on, especially this week in particular, which we're going to dive into, but mm-hmm. just to see what he's been able to do and who he's been able to get on campus and how he's been able to promote. <laughs> and go out of his comfort zone that we never saw at UCF and adapt to this play where he's getting, you know, top 10 classes and continuing to go on that recruiting trail, especially in this 2024 class that's, you know, still taking off. It's just exceptional, man, because this man had 30 guys dip out on him and, you know, he's still trying to catch up from that. So. Yeah, I know. I mean, absolutely. But I think this will be a good opportunity to transition into kind of the uh, NCAA cloud that's been looming all over, not just Knoxville today, oh, yeah. but Cincinnati as well. Um, for those that don't know, uh, NCAA committee infractions, com- you know, infractions committee and Prewitt and, you know, Philip Fulmer and Donnie Plowman all showed up for the hearings on Hopefully within the next three or four days, we'll finally get a verdict on like what the <laughs> final two weeks, penalties are going. I mean, it probably will be wind up two weeks, but an investigation is still three years later, still going on. 
Um, I think the one thing that was very surprising was, um, and I think we kind of touched base about this earlier today, was the fact that when Danny White showed up, that SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey was with him too. Because just because of the fact, uh, you know, him, his presence being there, it kind of gives an indication almost in a sense that like the SEC themselves are backing Tennessee in this in this hearing because I think they know how much money Tennessee football brings in and oh, how yeah. much it's bowl money is going to be lost if we get a bowl ban. But I think the more that we look at it and the more that I've read as well, and I'm sure Brandon could give you more information on it too, and I'm sure you will hear soon, I think the more and more it looks less and less likely that we're going to have a bowl ban. I think there's going to be something to an extent, like maybe some scholarship reductions. There's no doubt in my mind that Jeremy Pruitt is getting a show cause. And Derek Ansley, who didn't even show up to the hearing, by the way, he uh, he is 1,000% getting a show cause or a suspension from the NCAA for coaching college for quite a while. But uh, oh, before yeah. before we get go to your uh, viewpoint on it, Brandon, I just wanted to like say it it cracks me up so hard today hearing about Pruitt coming in into that you know conference hall, walking into that room, and ironically right across the street or right across the other side of the hall, there was another conference going on, and they were playing Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone as he was oh, walking no. into this infractions hearing. It was I didn't hear was, that. I saw yeah, the video, but I didn't hear the audio. It was apparently a coaching excellence conference, too, which was ironically right across the other side <laughs> of the hall, too. So something just very fitting about old Cornbread himself walking in about to hear his death sentence while Danger Zone's being played in the background. You just got to love At it. At a coaching excellence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, man, like, th- this is like the, you know, the final countdown. This is the final beat, the final chapter, you know, finally finishing off this crazy saga that was the Pruitt tenure, man. And like, it, it goes back and back and back. And it, it's just crazy to see how like, it's kind of gotten to this point. I guess the all case worst scenario to sum it up is like overall the scholarship thing, the bowl ban. Uh, I don't see either being possible. And I think, you know, I was a little worried about the bowl ban, but then kind of seeing Greg Sankey, like you say, show up, having our back, seeing how Tennessee, you know, they said for all in all, no matter what this way goes, like they're going to fight it and just, go go full on with it and have the the commissioner at our back is kind of the big thing with how the SEC is kind of taking over the game in general and the NCAA on their way out. Uh, man, like it, it's just crazy to think about how Pruitt has let it get this far as well because I think Tennessee has a clean sweep here. Um, there's no denying, you know, what him, his wife, Niedermeyer, Ansley, Shelton Felton, the guys that have gotten show causes, what they were doing. Uh, obviously it was the whole McDonald's bag things, but, you know, hearing about going out and, you know, UT, yeah, exactly. Going out Chick-fil-A. in like UT gear, going out in like broad daylight in UT gear, handing out this stuff, uh, helping players out in disclosed, undisclosed situations. Uh, Tennessee and all <clears throat> in all doing everything they could the right way, getting rid of everybody. I think the one thing they didn't do right was not, you know, putting the arrow into Philip Fulmer as well on his way out. Because I think that's what – this is where it goes back to my point. I'm going to wrap it up here. I think this yeah. former part comes back to kind of bite Tennessee because they did everything right. They got, you know, the whole compliance thing, which was from a, a really, really well-confined source. I'm not going to stitch them out, whatever. If you know, you know. But to get Tennessee in this level to where they felt comfortable doing this whole thing and now going to these years of the whole saga, it's going to be really, really interesting. But I think, you know, with Tennessee doing the right thing, getting everyone out like they did, 
them not, you know, giving the firing on that stage of Philip Forman being out. Kind of was like a retirement speech, farewell, leaving with pay. Should have fired without pay. I think that's going to come back to where the failure to monitor thing can be a real deal situation because Philip Fulmer, I mean, if the rumors are true, he was hands-on on the field, on the practice field, this man himself. So, like, there's just so much to unpack and what we were letting going on at Tennessee. And, you know, Donnie Plowman, Danny White, uh, sitting there with St. <clears throat> Tennessee, rolling in with all their, you know, representatives. Uh, a lot of these guys that were, you know, just best friends with this man and his wife, you know, two or three years ago. Let's not act like they didn't accept, accept him as family as the head coach of Tennessee, we're all of all for lives. We, we would do for our head coaches in good or bad, it, you know, is crazy in itself. And they're having to go out here and prove a point in, in a, in a court and a real case of something that used to be their friend. And I think a lot lies on Tennessee. If scholarship, you know, come out of this, whatever worst case scenario, I don't see the bull band being a factor, but the scholarship thing, I think Tennessee took care of that in years one and two under Josh Heupel where they didn't allow guys coming back from COVID and there's, you know, I don't want to compare this to a jail sentence, but that's, you know, kind of time served. I think we've done enough. Rob's back. Look at Rob back. Beautiful. There we go. There sorry, we go. man. Rob, Rob, describe. Don't worry about it. It's good. Describe it's this NCAA saga the best way you can. Describe it in what way? Anyway, Tennessee, you know, Jerry Pruitt coming to the conclusion. What's your, your thoughts on this whole thing? Um, I think Pruitt needs to stop being a hard head and just accept his punishment and go on about his way from that. Pretty much. Um, Tennessee pretty much admitted to everything except for a failure to monitor. Uh, they're fighting the NCAA on that. So I guess in six to eight weeks, we'll see how it turns out. Um, a lot of people are thinking, you know, bowl bands and <clears throat> stuff like that. I don't believe that would be the case because they've played in two bowl, two bowls the past two years. It'd be kind of stupid to give them a bowl man now. It really would be. Um, I think maybe it'll be a little bit more of a reduction of a couple more scholarships and maybe a couple more recruiting, you know, uh, yeah, like things that. like that. Like, you know, maybe like the, you know, the first home game, no visitors, you know, just some crap like that, man. I don't think it'll be awesome, anything – uh, severe and harsh. And I also think the NCAA knows that <clears throat> Tennessee gave them everything on a platter. Tennessee admitted everything. They didn't hide anything. They came out. It was like, here you go. And they cooperated with everything. So if Tennessee gets hammered, there's nobody else in the country that's going to ever fool with the NCAA again. And I think they know it, that. So. And that's, and that's like to go back to Rob's point as well. Like that is maybe the only thing where like, I feel like Tennessee could have theoretically could have done different is that we were so open during our inv investigation yeah. and ironically three years later we're having to go to a committee and factions committee um and defend ourselves while you have programs like kansas basketball and north carolina oh, basketball yeah. literally gave the ncaa the middle finger and they didn't even do anything about it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but I'm curious about y'all's both y'all's opinions on this though. Like, but if we do wind up getting some pretty severe penalties as a result of Pro and how he ran this program and Fulmer essentially not really doing anything about it, do you think that this tarnishes Phil Fulmer's legacy at Tennessee for all he did within the 17 years as a head? It's guy? already been tarnished. It has been tarnished. It's man. been tarnished. You think it's already been tarnished? It's already been tarnished. It's already been tarnished. It's already been tarnished. It's been I think it's been since tarnished the, since he went to Bama to hire a head coach. That's when it all I, ended. I think it's been tarnished to an extent, right? I think, like at the end of the day, you still have to remember the fact, that, like this man brought us back-to-back -back SEC titles, a national championship, 
And, you know, 2001 could have very easily been in another national title game as well. But when you go into the fact that you consider that now that we know that he was where, well aware of all of this going on in the program. He was coaching, Even coaching bro. the program, you know, and still not willing to admit that this what? stuff was happening as well. Like, I feel like you can't help but think that this nails the coffin, like the final nail in the coffin for Dave him. Dave, he was as, getting smacked so much because the O-line. Who was coaching him? <laughs> Philip Fulman. Yeah. Well, I mean, it uh, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. But regardless, I think you can't help but think that this is, like, the one thing where, like, even though he is theoretically in the modern era the greatest coach in the history of Tennessee football, that I would argue that Johnny Majors is in a higher level as far as elite status than he is. Mm-hmm. Just because he didn't – I mean, he didn't sell his – first of all, like, sell his soul to the devil, I guess, and then be – literally do everything his power not to cooperate and make sure the program was in the right condition when he left. I mean, he, he was also at the spring game. He's still involved with the program now. I just think with the whole failure to monitor thing going on, especially with him kind of being involved with that, that's where I swing back to where Tennessee could, you know, have not have a say. Not against Pruitt. I think they kind of, you know, checkmate Pruitt in every single, you know, situation. But when the NCAA comes down on the infractions, like, why didn't y'all fire him on the spot with cause as well? And yeah, we can play the sads play that we wouldn't debate or, you know, feed into the media and do what was best for the media that not, not fire of all great, especially at such a low time, you know, what some people look back on for greatness at that time before high school, but just all in all, man, I think that's going to be the one thing is that you got this guy still come around this past season. Uh, after all that, he's, you know, you know, still at practices, not involved or anything like that, but it's just going to be weird how the NCAA, what they want to do on their way out. But, to see Greg Sankey and see like the, I don't know if you saw the video from Brent hubs and, you know, those guys that were there out of sparks, but the amount of people on Tennessee's legal team compared to, you know, Pruitt and his wife just kind of walking in in that one video. And then seeing like, I told whole, you Sankey was going to be there. Like, remember I got pushed like back 30 there. plus. <laughs> you did. You did. I, 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 did think, I, like, I said it, bro. I knew did. it. I knew <laughs> it. I really think it's going to be like a, a laughing kind of checkmate thing when it's all said and done. And if it takes two weeks, that's just kind of, you know, milking it out. But, I I don't think he leaves without a show cause. And I think, like, too, I think even the NCAA, I think the NCAA even realizes, too, that they can't punish Tennessee in a situation like this because if they do punish us, then no program in college athletics is ever going to comply with the NCAA ever again. And if anything, especially with Greg Sankey being there, and maybe this sounds, you know, crazy, like Alex Jones conspiracy take or whatever, this could potentially be the thing that rolls the dice or gets the ball rolling of Power Five conferences leaving the NCAA and setting up their own college athletics association. Like, I mean, that's literally that, what the SEC is going to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like seriously, like and yeah. that, that could be the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like that could be yeah. something that could really happen if we do wind up getting that. And I think it will happen if that is the case. But all I'm own. saying is if Joe Milton goes out there in his, you know, senior year of waiting gets, you know, tarnished for that one year, it's going to suck. But I'm locking in the Vols for 2024, 14-team or 18-deep college football playoff. Like, we're, we're in the playoffs. You know why I think Tennessee is going to be great under Joe Island. Milton at that? Um, I was listening to um, Swain and uh, uh, Josh and Swain today. And um, I think it was Cole Cubit. Yeah, Cole Cubit came on, and he shared a story. He was like, you know, underclassmen quarterbacks used to couldn't throw at pro days but now they can Bryce Young through last year yada 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 well word kept surfacing that Joe Milton was going to throw for Jalen Hyatt you know Princeton Fenton all them whatever 
like the word just it kept circling and it kept getting out in it so all these nfl gms and scouts are like hey bro i'm finna go see joe milton throw well it kept becoming higher and higher and higher and hype was like you know what no Joe is not going to throw because these are the guys that are about to go to the NFL, and I don't want to take away from these guys right here. So now, no, Joe is not going to throw. And that right there just shows you the kind of person that hype is, man. Like, we all know Joe going to the draft next year, and if he's going off of potential the way that this year's draft's going to go, Joe should be number one overall because Facts. Will Levis being top five, crazy. Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson being top five crazy you know what i'm saying so if we're going off of strictly potential joe milton should be number one number two pick next year in next year's draft but hype was like no i'm gonna shut it down my players deserve their chance on their day and i don't want this day to be about joe milton when it's supposed to be about them that right there in itself tells me hype is the right man for this job and he is the right person in this situation and i think that him just being as good of a person as he is i think the, ref- the favor will return itself and be like you know what okay you did the right thing let's 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 get tennessee back on top for real for real this time like i really think that being a good person comes back on you in a very very good way and i think that that happens with hype i do because you don't you don't see co- many coaches do that man you don't you know what i'm saying and and i respect the hell out of josh hyper for that man and that was a cool story by by cole Kubik, man like i I loved hearing that story because I didn't know anything about that. I normally hear, you know, everything coming out of it, but I didn't hear that at all until there's, today. There's, so. a, there's a hypo, and then there's the guy we've been talking about the last 15 minutes that won't take you if you have diabetes. So, um, <laughs> I mean, this is just yeah. day. Who's now at Texas making yeah, one-hand catches on the other side of his body. Did y'all see that video? Yeah, crazy. yeah. Bring it. That's crazy. crazy. I mean, it's just all in all, you know, crazy. Yeah. But I just want to get this thing, you know, more wrapped up because to talk about all the good that we have, you know, looking forward to of what this man that we have our coach now is doing under sanctions, under distress of, you know, people, you know, 100 percent teams have used it in recruiting mm-hmm. and done it since day one. Mm-hmm. He stepped in the building. They're still doing Definitely. it now mm-hmm. in, the, in the 2024 class as hype is coming off a 10 and 2, 11 and 2 season. So, I mean, just to get this thing wrapped up, I think Tennessee is going to take the full on full court press against this. And we're going to see a lot of those staff members. Uh, definitely not leave with show clauses. There's a reason that Jeremy Pruitt isn't the defensive coordinator at Alabama right now, and it's not because Nick Saban didn't want him to be the defensive coordinator and analyst there. It's because the in-step play was not letting that shit fly. And uh, we're going to see this thing get wrapped up, and it's just, you know, it's been a clown. It's just, it's a clown show, Drew. It's been, it's, you know, what Tennessee has been, been represented in... by the last three years. The punishment mm-hmm. enough should be the Jeremy Pruitt tenure. There's it, no punishment for all that shit. Like, we went through enough. It's a clown show. I mean, it's a joke, but like, I think, you know, this is kind of like one of those things where like, this is the final thing that's going to make you realize yeah. all the pain and suffering that we've had as a program for the last 15 years. You know, years. it's it's funny you say that because like I said, I was listening to Swain's show earlier today and they, well, do this, they do this thing called um, the power poll where they get, they get asked five tough questions towards the end of the hour. And one of the questions was, what defined Jeremy Pruitt's tenure at Tennessee? <laughs> and Swain, the fucking whiteboard. No, no. Swain said, "You really want the answer to this? Okay, 
Well, I know I drove all the way to North Carolina for the first game of the season, and I'll be doggone the first play. JG throws a screen <laughs> and gets blown up. And he said from that point on, I already knew what it was gonna be during his during his tenure. And I was like, mm-hmm. Damn, he lost to West right. Virginia. Uh, okay, hey, it, whoa, 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 that was whoa. A good We're not gonna West do that. Team, that was a great that West Virginia was, team. That was We're a good we'll agree with him. Holy down. shit. We're well, not gonna well, downplay well, them. Well, all right, he, was like, he was a great quarterback yeah. there. That yeah. was that was not a bad team at all. In fact, that game I was expecting us to lose. But like, it's but exactly what Rob said. We saw we were awful in that play yeah. of just JG getting blown up right in the middle without even an you. opportunity. Like, oh, I, you know, Jay, I think all of us knew deep inside like, I think we all knew deep inside after that. What loss? What loss? Not lost to but you know you know for some reason JG dropped that. Gets his, he went he went to his full buyout. He's not gonna get it for one. You don't think JP doesn't want? To, I, I don't know. I don't even know. I think he walks away with something he's, out of this. He's, he's I, not going. The smart thing Jerry Andy, to do is come bro, to, come to Tony. Ain't going, bro. Dondi Plowman has stood on that since day one. He is not getting nothing. And on top of that, on top of that, they have proof of everything. They well, you know, you know, you know who the one that's like snitching out is right. So like that source to come Who's out. Snitched? Who, who was it, Brando? Who snitched? I'm not saying that on the air, bro. <laughs> like, why would I? I mean, that's. I mean, that's just awful. I will say, I'll, let's just keep it this way. It, as far as I'm aware, maybe Brando's sources were a little bit different. I worked to Trey when all this stuff uncovered. Let's just say it was a very prominent player on that roster, who also somehow had a family member that worked at the compliance department too. That found out about all this. Yeah, that, that, that's oh, we know. Right, yeah. Everyone knows who it is. I'm just being messy. Everybody knows. That guy's also a Super Bowl champion now. He also plays for the Chiefs. Yeah, his name is also <laughs> for, Trace for the Smith, Chiefs. Well. Um, if you don't know who we're talking about, I mean, oh, yeah. gonna say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. From, from from Casey Pruitt and Jeremy Pruitt, you know. I mean, and that's the thing too. It's like, like it would be it'd be one thing if like shook if we had... me that Trey came back. Shook me. He's I was surprised that he came back. That's that's dedication. I mean, he's, that's he's real so life. Involved, that's, involved that's because he that's, made a promise to his mama that he was gonna get his degree, and I think that's really what it is. I think it was his mom. I don't think it was Pruitt. A thousand percent. I think it was his mom and the love for University of Tennessee and the, the Mays brothers at the time. But I will say this: I do think, as much as I don't want this to happen, I do Pretty think fun. Tennessee has to realize that they should have just accepted that they did failure to monitor. They're going against it, but let's be honest here. The reason why it's very evident that Tennessee failed to monitor is because Philip Farmer knew everything that was going on. So yeah. you 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 can't fight you you can't fight something that's literally right there. Philip knew what was going on and he did nothing about it. He helped it, and he enabled it. I'm so how can you fight? How can you but fight here, and say that they, they, it was a failure? Of mind, if it was here's, here's the thing, though. You can't deny it. Here's here's the thing with that argument, right? Literally. I agree with that. You can't. It's very hard to fight that you failure to monitor when your athletic director literally knew everything that was happening for the last two years and try to cover it up himself too, because he has such a huge ego that he was one to do anything he can to be back on coaching football. Mm-hmm. However. The the university did, and Donnie Palm themselves, in their credit, as soon as they did find out about this information and did their own investigation, shut it down immediately. Now, I think what would have made their argument better is that the fact that they would have fired Fulmer immediately as well, instead of as opposed to giving him that extremely awkward 
farewell pass press conference that everyone knew that was unbearable to watch. But I don't yeah, think they're going to be able to get that charge. I don't think they're going to be convicted of that, you know, failure to monitor charge. But they didn't do themselves any – honestly, what they really should have done is not listen to our redneck fan base and have us hire Phil Fulmer's AD four years ago in the first place. I think if we just would have hired someone competent, we would have avoided this altogether because we, we would not have – probably would have had Mel Tucker as our head coach. So. Mel Tucker or fucking Gus Malzahn, baby. You know what's crazy, bro? A lot that's of people – a lot of people in the fan base don't know this. But what do they know, Rob? Kirby Smart should have got hired with Bush Jones. Thousand percent. Kirby Smart I, wanted he the, job. For the job. He, he wanted the it. job, and they gave it to Bush Jones instead. And now look at Kirby Smart at Georgia. And I per, and oh, honestly, I I truly believe if Tennessee had went and go ahead and hired Kirby Smart, I don't think he would have left Tennessee for Georgia because it was no. this was his first. You know, he, head coaching opportunity. Tennessee believed in. I believe he would still be here had they hired him. I do. He, he, we, well, we have the money to compete with Georgia in the first place, so we would have just outbid them regardless. Oh, and man. like you said, I mean, even better facilities than Georgia does. I mean, we, he would have stayed here regardless. We're behind the eight ball though. Facility I'll, wise, I'll, I'll say, are, I'll say, yeah. we have restate crazy. I, I don't know. They don't the even show. have a full practice practice facility over there, so they only have a forty yarder. <laughs> Uh, we've reached a part of the show where we're talking about the state of Tennessee head coaches. And this so happens to be talking about Kirby smart should have been the Tennessee balls football head coach. Uh, I'm going to use that as a, as a direction standpoint and go to a different direction. I am happy with the man we have, you know, now Josh Heupel, who is working on his third thousand percent working on his third top 10 recruiting class. Who so happens to be having some recruiting back and forth with the man we're talking about right now, Kirby smart. Obviously, the ball is looking for some uh, big commitments here soon. But the big reaction lately was, you know, uh, the crystal balls in favor. The two ball leans, Jaden Riddell, the four-star tight end, and then the four-star wide receiver, Ryan Wingo, both getting their crystal balls or their kind of direction, the uh, confidence flip from Tennessee to Georgia. And, you know, both commitments, I can understand the Wingo one after his, you know, visit line to the – UT staff, I can see that one being gone, but I'm still kind of confident in the whole Jaden Riddell one. I think Tennessee still kind of leads there. I think the crystal ball in that situation was kind of Wolf Long and other insiders having their reaction of, you know, Georgia losing their five-star tight end to Florida State, who's also on a massive run in the 2024 class right now. So nothing really too crazy to panic. Uh, If Wingo is gone, that is very well. We have seen what Georgia does with wide receivers. Uh, All in all, Tennessee will kind of move on. See you. Uh, Right, exactly. Tennessee, exactly. Going to go target, you know, Amari Jefferson uh, and also move on to Mike Matthews. I can see a lot more targets and a lot more interest kind of priority going to a guy like Mike Matthews and Amari Jefferson, the in-state guy at Baylor. Uh, Tennessee shouldn't have any trouble at the wide receiver position or really any position in general. Uh, The NIL fully taken off with the ball club, obviously, going up in members and, you know, support there. And then Josh Heifel being able to go off an 11-2 season. Uh, you're recruiting against the top dogs and you're not going to win them all. But, you know, Wingo, the guy that, you know, had that crystal ball to the balls for so long, lies to the staff kind of about his visit, gets, the, you know, the favorite of Georgia. Wouldn't be surprised to see him commit in a few days. And I think that's going to be a reaction with their commitment from Dylan Rayola, who's about to commit the huge prodigy being compared to, you know, Patrick Mahomes. But I also think you're going to see a lot more pro- uh, prospects in this class want to come and, you know, play with Nico and they're seeing what Nico's doing here and all the hype there being built up. And I think you already saw that with a guy like J.J. Harrell. So a crazy ton 
to, you know, look forward to in recruiting, but uh, just don't look into the crystal balls, I guess. Don't look into the bad crystal balls. If guys don't want to hop in, they don't want to hop in. Tennessee's still about to do some magical things with their in-state recruiting, getting more crystal balls for athlete Boo Carter and four-star linebacker Edwin Spillman. You can see those guys kind of hop in soon. And then just kind of seeing this class keep on building, man. I think this weekend, especially, we talked about the orange and white game, the amount of guys that were at that game kind of saw it for the first time. Even guys like Dante Thornton that are already there, transfers, you know, seeing the environment for the first time, being blown away about how many guys showed up to a spring game. Uh, a lot, a lot to look forward to in the recruiting trail. I think this class still has the potential to be a top 10 class, maybe even, you know, get back in that top five retrospect. But, you know, Drew, Don't Rob, the whole – Be realistic. Whole it's not going to be a top class. It's not – got to be realistic. You got to be realistic. <laughs> it won't be a top five class, bro. I mean, sure. Okay, you got to okay, be I'll realistic. Spend, I'll spend this into you a question saying, though, an opinion thing to kind of close it out. Uh, losing recruits or, you know, the crystal balls, not even losing recruits, obviously goes all the way to May of next year. But, you know, getting the crystal ball flips to a, a, a you know, a program like Georgia, it's not going to win them all. What's y'all's kind of opinion on that news coming out of that? Um, me personally, I hate okay. crystal balls. Uh, I, I hate um, these insiders, whatever you want to call, um, ruining kids' moments. Um, a kid should be able to tell their head coach or their position coach that, hey, I'm going to commit to Tennessee. Please don't tell anyone. I want my moment. And somehow every single time any commit tells the coach that they're coming, somehow Fong Bong is all – they just come out 20 minutes later. Fong Bong, 20 minutes later. Like when Taven Jackson committed, freaking Fong put in a crystal ball 20 minutes before he committed. Like, bro, yeah. like Why? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you doing that? You know what I mean? Like, I get it. You got to make your money. You got to do your thing. But I am not a fan of crystal balls. I do not like ruining kids' commitments, and I wish that they would go away. I hate it with a passion. The recruits hate it with a passion. They've been on record saying it millions of times, and these insiders just do not care. And I, it's just ridiculous, man. And it needs to stop because it's not fair to the kids. And I, and I hope these insiders that are always placing these crystal ball, I hope to God that they have a child and they have to go through the same situation. And they see how it feels. I really do. I mean, I just try not to buy too much into it as far as like the crystal, crystal ball predictions go, because I mean, they're, they're not entirely accurate all the time either. And so, and Brando, I mean, what was what that? you could Brandon, you, you turned the camera least, off. You didn't mute it. Yeah. You could at least <laughs> mute it first. Like, you picked the wrong wrong selection. <laughs> oh, no. I guess he didn't want us to want us to see him sneeze. I mean, that's right. the only thing I could possibly think of. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. Going back to recruiting, though, just I mean, I don't really care too much for. I don't try to put too much time into it because at the end of the day, like kids that are committing this early, odds are they're going to wind up flipping at some point during the season or before signing day. Like we yeah, see it all the time. Then, Drew, we're going to lose them all. What? We already have eight commits right now. We're gonna lose them all. Fuck. Yeah, and we also had several like going into like last June, and we had about four or five kids also that wound up decommitting and going elsewhere too. So like, and this is not. I mean, I'm not trying to buy too much into it. I want them to come here. If like, if Heupel and the staff trust is that they're good enough to play this level, then I'm all for it. But like, I'm not gonna buy into the stock to the kids a four star committing this early in April and then try to expect him for eight months to be a Tennessee signee. Like, it's just 
the like the odds are just not in that favor because there's a lot of implications and a lot of factors that go into a kid signing to a school for four years. So yeah, I won't sure. try to buy too much into it, but it is promising though that we're consistently in that top ten, you know, range as far as the class goes and prediction. And I don't think you can expect Heifel to be able to overbid schools like Georgia and Alabama just yet on big time four high four star five star recruits. But we're we're close. We're close. So I think Um, we'll be fine. I think we'll be good. This is my last thing I'll say. Damn it. I think (laughs) I think South Carolina is doing exactly what Bush Jones did a few years ago. Getting all these recruits. They're gonna have an ass season and they're gonna lose all them recruits. I hope it happens. Spurs down or whatever y'all say. Oh my god! I mean, it's gonna fall eventually. There's no way guys are gonna be able to ball. Whatever it does, crumble on the field, and then guys, you know, like can't keep that relationship because they realize what a goofball their head coach is gonna. I'm be. running the like, score hey. up if I'm hyped this year. I'm talking about. I'm going. Man, I got you, bro. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be because Beamer ran that score up. He and, uh, ran the score up, but hype did it his first year too. So everyone, everyone's kind of pissed because of the ranking of you know South Carolina's recruiting class and how how hot they were the last you know few weeks. I'm what? here to tell you uh, this month and the, the month of May, like for the laws in the 2024 class is about to be like insane. I wouldn't be surprised to see you know two to three more commitments in the next few weeks, at least one or two this week or next. Uh, no, we have what? we have to stop focusing so heavily, reliantly on recruiting rankings, like. We were in the same boat 10 years ago when Butch Jones was getting top five recruiting classes. Like, look, at the end of the day, dude, these recruiting classes really don't – like the rankings don't mean shit because a lot of our guys that wound up being ballers for us were low-star, four-star, or high three-star recruits like Ken Hooker and Hyatt and all these guys too. Like these were not guys that were like top 50, top 30 prospects. Like we have to stop – no, I mean, it's true. Dude, though. You say stars don't matter. Look at the Vols legend ah. linebacker, JJ Peterson. Are you serious? Yes, stars don't matter because those guys were four or five star and they fucking suck. It's time sucked. to turn this shit off. I can't believe you just said JJ Peterson. So bro. you shouldn't you shouldn't focus on guy that because they have four sure. or five stars and they're supposed to be really good in this class because JG was the number one dual threat quarterback and he was garbage. He was awful. So, like, I don't understand why he was listed as a dual threat, though, because he really was. I think, I think he used to be able to run back in the day. I'm not going to say it on. on I will say, I will say before we went on this whole recruiting rankings thing, um, expect some more good news. You know, the basketball has got a lot of good news. I think Josh Heupel will get good news in the 2024 class and in the transfer portal now that he's kind of seen what his needs are. Still think that is, you know, the offensive guard, edge rusher, and wide receiver. Uh, a lot to look forward to there. Dang, Tennessee. Brando, you got the intel, don't you? Mm-hmm. Tennessee, Tennessee trying to get it done with this whole Jeremy Pruitt thing. Hey, I know some guys that already locked in. They locked in, you already know. Shout out but, Austin uh, Price. I, I, I guess, yeah. Shots fired. Trying to get the uh, NCAA <laughs> investigation wrapped up. And I, I put and more in the title in case we wanted to talk about it. AP uh, Junior. Baseball's, baseball's kind of fallen, uh, falling off the radar. Trying to find, find out who they are. Uh, trying to find their identity. Yeah. Falling the freaking tough. Tennessee Tech for the second year in a row. That's tough. In the midweek series before we go to play Vanderbilt. I will say this though about the together, baseball boys. team. We I will say this. I need this series. It's I personal. think I I I don't want to say I think they'll get it turned around, they but I think to. I think that 
I think that sometimes as, as unfortunate as it is, I think sometimes you have to have a reality check and it has to really sit in because let's be real here. Like, yeah, they got a reality check when they got punched in the mouth and didn't go to Omaha, but it did. It hit, but it didn't hit as hard as it's hitting right now, because really? right now they can't figure anything out. You know what I'm saying? And And I think that this team is, of course, like I said before, they're getting a little bit of the backlash from the team last year. But I think as time goes on, that should bring out the mentality in them of, you know what, we're going to get everyone's best every single night. We're probably the most hated team in the country, and we're not even the best team in the country, which is crazy. But let's just put our heads down. Let's keep working. Let's figure it out, and let's try to get it turned around. And and that's just what you have to do. When you look at it, though, you look across the board, the other who are playing this week in Vanderbilt and LSU – both fall, you know, in their midweek games as well. So just a weird week in baseball, man. Like they got it, by Indiana State. It is, but Vanderbilt's also still thirteen and two in conference play. They're the number one team in the SEC. They're one of the best teams in the country, and we have a team currently where we can't pitch. We can't. We have no. We have no bullpen. Whoa, right whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Respectfully. They can pitch. The problem is not consistently. Listen, listen, listen. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <coughs> I, I'm not saying you don't know the game of baseball sports. I'm not saying that. But here's here's what I'm saying. Tell okay. Me, tell me. If I'm on the mound, all right, uh-huh. and I'm doing my thing, uh-huh. I got I got us two outs, all uh-huh. right, and there's a ground ball up the middle uh-huh. that you just completely just whiff on and miss, miss and you commit an error, and I got to uh-huh. face five more batters. What do you think that does to a 19-year-old mentally? Mentally, it's like, bro, sure. what the what the is going on? You know what I'm saying? So I think I think it's just I think this is just them being so young is setting in right now. And it's hitting Chase Burns harder than it's hitting anyone because Chase Burns will get you two outs real, real quick. But oh, then yeah. the defense will also do some dumb crap and then give up three, four runs, and that's unearned runs. You know what I'm saying? And to a pitcher or someone, you know whatever you may call that mentally that messes with you bro bad you know what i'm saying ahuna having that messed up double play last week that messed with him for the rest of the weekend i can guarantee you that i'm not denying what do you you want to do i'm not denying they're not talented but like they've been so so inconsistent the entire season so you can't rely on them like how we were able to last year and then when you really break down on our top six batters right in conference play I'll just give you guys real quick stats on the six of these guys. It'll be real fast. Blake Burke is batting 237. He's only had three home runs the entire of SEC play so far. Christian Moore is only batting 255. Jared Dickey is the only guy in our entire roster that's batting over 300 at 310 in conference play. And you have your three plug-in and play guys that we got for the portal with Mally Huna, St. Dittman, and Griffin Merritt. Mally's batting 262. Only four doubles and one triple and four RBIs. 18 strikeouts in the last 11 games up at bat. Zane Denton's batting 163 with 19 strikeouts in 11 games, which, by the way, is the highest among the entire roster. And Griffin Merritt, who's had a couple of good showings on Sunday games for sure, still only batting 171 with three home runs and a double. And all these guys are barely getting a 30% on-base percentage as well. So when you have the combination of a bullpen that is shaky, inconsistent doesn't have a lot of like positive energy and vibes going towards that 
and also behind you a batting order that where no one can get on base or hit to save their lives, that is a very, very – I mean, it's just a combination. You're not going to win a lot of baseball games. I still think they can turn it around. I still think this is a team that can make a run in the NCAA tournament. I mean, we've seen this from time and time again. Yeah. But you're facing this gauntlet of a schedule, and then when you even have opponents like where you need to beat teams like Tennessee Tech or whatever, like there's no confidence. I have no confidence in this team winning this weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think this is not only like obviously the series that like you have to get involved in, but I definitely think it's one that's, you know, we're definitely capable of, you know, getting involved in at home in Lindsay Nelson. I think everyone should show up. I know there's not a lot, you know, to kind of live up to a terrible loss yesterday. But I definitely think this series itself with the, you know, the back and forth, especially what happened in Nashville last year in this series. I want everyone to kind of show up and give that uh, same kind of hostility. I know we won't get the same favor from umps. I think we can make that environment so nasty that we can kind of get into the Vanderbilt head. I want Ahuna to be healthy just because of everything that Tim Corbin and Vanderbilt kind of put him through in the offseason. I just, uh, I think. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Stop the cab. (laughs) You you ain't telling me. What the fuck? Uh, Just overall, I think there's a lot at stake. I think it's personal for Tennessee to get back on track in itself, but definitely against a team like Vanderbilt. And uh, there's going to be a lot of chirping with the whole in-state thing the one sport that they do claim to take seriously. They just get beat and everything else. So kind of want to go out there and humble them. They did um, just win a championship in bowling. They did. That's very true. My co-worker <laughs> did. manager did, uh, did, did brag about that. So um, uh, final opinions going into this weekend. Baseball, are they bouncing back or do they lose this series? Swept. They're getting swept. Holy shit. Tennessee wins the series this weekend. I think we went 2-1. Let me let me tell yeah, you why. Three. I'm gonna be short because I know we got I know we gotta go. I'm gonna be short, but I'm gonna tell you why Tennessee is gonna win this series. <clears throat> Tennessee is gonna win this series because they're vulnerable. A vulnerable team is a dangerous team. A team that feels like they can't figure it out, a team that feels like they don't know what to do, a team that feels like everything is going wrong, they figure it out at one given moment, and I think that given moment will be this weekend because everybody in that dugout, everybody in the state of Tennessee knows how serious this series is this weekend. If they don't win the series this weekend, then yes, I will panic on the baseball team, but I do think that they win the series this weekend. I do. They're vulnerable. They don't know what to do. They're struggling. They can't figure it out. This is where they figure it out. You got a top, what, five? They're number four, number three, whatever. You got a top five team in the country coming into your place. You are now unranked for the first time in God knows how long. You're playing like absolute dog crap. Not going to cuss. I'm trying to, you know, refrain from those words. But like I said, vulnerable team is a hard team to beat, man. And I think that this weekend – I don't know if they turn it around, but I do think they win this series. I need, I need a whole lot of Star Wars and lightsabers and all that. I need this team happy, whatever, you know, with the, all the new rules and stuff. Get cocky. Be your true self. Get that energy back. Go out there and uh, live off the crowd. Hopefully they show I think, up. And I, I think that's the problem. I think yeah. they're carrying themselves. Uh, oh, we're not going to be last year's team. Uh, No, you need to be last year's team. You need to walk with swagger. You need to have a chip on your shoulder. And you Talk need to say shit. F you to every single body you're playing against. I don't know if y'all saw this or not, but last week, uh, one of LSU's players hit a home run, looked at the pitcher and said F you and threw his bat to the dugout. But when oh. Tennessee does it, all hell breaks loose. Hmm. I'm going to tell you what the real problem is. The real problem is Tennessee is just now entering the baseball world, and our fans are coming out of nowhere, and these other baseball schools don't like it. 
That's what the problem is. It ain't got nothing to do with us being cocky because every good baseball team is like that. Every last one of them. There is not a humble baseball team out there playing that doggone good and not talking no trash, doing anything at all. Not one. People just hate Tennessee. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yes, sir. Boys, been a uh, jam-packed, eventful Wednesday here. Sorry for uh, my in and out presence. My oh, son yeah. has been on one today. Making, I this is nah, you made up for it. You made for it last right, 20 he was, minutes. He got sure, hyped, and I'm about to fucking go on a fucking 30-minute drive. <laughs> uh, keep looking out. Obviously, huge news in the basketball portal going on there. Some more additions maybe on the way if Tennessee can get involved there, get more guys in for a visit in that retrospect. Look out for Josh Heifel to continue in uh, his state after the spring game, seeing his team improve, doing his plug and play, getting ready for his, you know, third season. And then let's go out there, uh, wrap up this NCAA investigation. Hopefully everything comes out well for Tennessee, beating the whole failure to monitor allegations and a much, much needed series for the baseballs to keep us alive uh, this season, you know, not only, gets the fans all riled up and kind of keeps us on retrospect until football season comes around. Yeah. I think this team, uh, I've grown to love them just for that. Like I think they've made baseball, college baseball, everything it is growing into right now. And I just want to see them kind of have that role of where they belong. And that's getting back to the top, not ranked. Like Rob said, got to go out there. There's no better team to do it than against the little bro. Go out there, win two or three. And, uh, let's, let's go out there and get back on track, man. Tony V, uh, going to show y'all not to hit the panic button yet. And hopefully we're coming back here next Wednesday in a lot, lot better news, uh, mood with a lot more news. So, boys, appreciate y'all for joining me. And uh, until next week, good night. Go Vols. Peace and love. Go Vols.